on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. People still have this view. It's going away. But people have this view that bigger is better. And in reality, why not just start with better materials, better thought out use of space, and you'll find that you can build 40% less. And this is all different for everybody, right? Like maybe the garage should be way bigger for some people than others because they have cars or they like woodworking and they have a shop in there. And there's all sorts of ways to do this. But what we see time and time again is people build these monstrosities that are expensive to run and maintain. And they use across the year, whether it's full-time or vacation, they're using 25% of the space. So it would be great from a material usage perspective, from a maintenance perspective, from a cost of running perspective, win in a lot of ways if we got smarter about how we build stuff. And one of those things in the equation is smaller. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. I'm your host. Today, I've got Andrew Leggy here on the King stage. My brother, Andrew, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're wonderful. It's a Monday. We're after it. It is Monday. Yeah. Few cobwebs, just, but that's all right. We're going to be fine. That's right. We were just uh, we were just talking about uh, your area of the country and you being dumped in snow and and uh, people in my area of the country. It's like it's cold without the snow. So yeah, it's like if I yeah, it's like if it's going to be cold, it might as well snow. Is my plot. Well, so last year in December we got two hundred inches of snow, and in January, February, and March we got an inch. And so we knew we found out what it was like to be cold with no snow last year. Our <laughs> winters are really crazy these days, but thus far I don't know I don't know exactly where we are. I think we're probably pretty close to hundred percent of average already and it's obviously january yeah we need it everybody knows california needs precipitation the snowpack is a huge part of the water source and so we're happy to have it even though our snow removal machinery is a little bit stressed yeah exactly well andrew tell us what kind of business that you got brother yeah it's not snow removal i i am a a a very proud founder i call myself the managing partner although we try to run pretty flat as an organization but we are in the manufacturing space And we make insulation out of wool. Maybe I should say it again because it's not something you hear every day. But we are an insulation manufacturer. We procure our wool in New Zealand. And we have one manufacturing facility here in Reno, Nevada. Nevada. Sorry if you're out here on the West Coast, you got to say it that way. Um, And we've been at it. This is our 10th year. So we've learned a lot over the last 10 years that we've been at it. And I'm, I'm happy to share the ups and the downs. And ideally give somebody something to think about in whatever part of their journey that they're on. Yeah. I love that uh, willingness, number one, but also the fact that, like you said, you're, you're, you're in a space that most people maybe haven't heard of. And so that's going to give us some interesting perspective from your journey, being a startup and then in a, in an industry where you, you've begun something brand new. And so I yeah. just think that it's it going to be, give us a great perspective. So before we do your journey or a little bit about the story, how you gotten where you are, yeah. I want to know at this level of success, why do you keep going? Why are you still at it? Why are you still telling the story 10 years in? What's what's the bigger picture for you? Well, so I have an advisory board member who told me he's a third generation custom builder. And so he clearly understands the space. He told me before we launched the company that it would take us 10 years. Well, here we are in our 10th year. And of course, when he told me that, I was like, no way, this isn't going to be that hard. I mean, he's a, he was he was so 100% right. And we've had to pivot and and reconsider the way that we do things along the way. And I think one of the things that we set out to do was stay nimble, knowing that we didn't have all the answers and that we were operating in a space where it was going to be wildly dynamic and we were going to have to try things and then be ready to abandon them and go, excuse me, in another direction. And so, frankly, what keeps me pushing every day 
is a couple things. I've always been a diehard believer in what we're doing. We, we are trying to take the most dynamic, high integrity fiber on the planet and offer it to people for, frankly, its original intention, which is insulation. Yeah. It's been evolving across thousands of years on the back of a sheep to protect them from the elements, right. hot and cold, wet and dry. Like it does everything. So the premise for what we're trying to do here has never changed. The path to being successful has definitely had some twists and turns. And a successful measure for us is, of course, keeping the lights on, maybe, maybe figuring out how to make a, a profit or two, which we haven't done yet. But, but it's really about this desire to give people something better. And when you yeah. look at insulation and the product that it has become over the last 20 years, I mean, it's essentially garbage. It's, it's toxic. It's not fun to work with. It's not safe to breathe. And that's just because the insulation has been basically boiled down to one measurable unit, which is cost. Mm -hmm. And if you're competing on cost and inevitably low cost, right. then of right. course the integrity of your product is going to be pretty crappy. Yeah. So we come at it from a totally different angle, which is we're a high quality product, which of course makes us more expensive. So we have to educate you and make you aware of what your decisions are. Yeah. And we've been doing that for 10 years and we'll do it five times today when people reach out to us. So it's very easy to stay motivated because we believe so much in what we're doing. And I do think back to my advisory board's comment, but member comments, I think we've scratched the surface. Yeah. And I think we've got some new products coming out that are going to allow us to expand our discussion into the builder realm, which frankly, they've been more of a roadblock than anything else in our first 10 years. And so we've done some really fun stuff on the, the demand creation side of the business. And we did that intentionally such that we could then bring the trade back into the discussion. And the trade is really builders, architects, and insulation installers. And that's starting to happen. So it was something we, we were very intentional about five years ago. And I, I won't be secret about it. When we get there, I'll tell you. And, and we're starting to see our efforts pay off, which is quite cool. So I think in summary, to answer your question, we've always felt very good about what we do here, yeah. which is, which has made it easy to get out of bed and push every, and I think that a lot of that effort, I'm not going to say it's getting easier, but I would say that a lot of the hard yards have been fought. And now yeah. it's just, how do I get this stuff in my project? Not so yeah. much of, let me start from ground zero and help you understand what we do here. Yeah. Yeah. You're in essence, you're talking about momentum. And I think that every entrepreneur has probably underestimated <laughs> what it takes to grab a hold of that. And there are certain things inside of different industries, especially if you're brand new, that require a, a timeline, <laughs> a certain amount of action points, whatever it is, in order yeah. to get this feeling of momentum. So uh, I just appreciate the vulnerability there to be able to share that. It is pretty cool, though, that you have this greater purpose within the product itself. You're an industry disruptor, in essence, disrupting the whole thing. So yep. there's got to be a, a better, a bigger, better connection to to what it is that you're doing and ultimately who you're serving. Otherwise, the like you said, those those yards they're hard to fight for because it's it's going to be tough when you're an industry disruptor like that for sure. Yeah, and this is relevant for somebody who's starting out and kind of looking at what they think is an opportunity. And you know, there's some very basic, I call them business school box checking exercises, right? And we sort of rocked through that really quickly and didn't come up with this idea and then a week later go launch the business. I spent a right. couple of years thinking about the notion of wool insulation and talking to market participants at all levels, architects, builders, insulation installers, looking at products, doing research, thinking about things, using your brain, applying common sense. Nobody really does that anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was just this gargantuan industry that at the time we were looking at sort of 13 to 15 billion in the U.S. insulation marketplace. Now that number looks more like 17 billion and globally for 2030, we talk about a hundred billion. Wow. So very simple notion there is, hey, you could be a grain of sand at the beach and still have a really cool business. Yeah. Like I don't need to run a billion dollar company. I, I could I'd probably rather not do that, but running a business profitably at some lower level that allows people to have an alternative product that's way better than anything else they can buy. Right. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. That sounded like 
a good time to me before we started. And it's still the case today. So yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think that we've always seen a, an opportunity to disrupt, as you say, that's very much a part of what we do. We're in fact more disruptive in the industry than we thought we would be just because of how we get our products to the end user. The, there's a very traditional path to market and in insulation, which is distributors and, and big national installers. Yeah. And then you just educate at the architect and builder level and watch your product fly into the walls. Right. Well, we tried that for a few years and it, it didn't work for us. Interesting. And so this is where it's been become really interesting in terms of how we run our business. We do about 92% of our sales direct to consumer. Wow. So we have really gotten excited about the opportunity to use technology, yeah. which doesn't jump off the page and tell you that it's going to work when you run a business like ours. Right. But the reality is when somebody's building a house, they don't think about insulation. They're eight months in and all of a sudden their builder who they thought was their hero isn't so much so anymore. Now says, hey, don't come around the house for a few days because we're going to put some toxic insulation in here over the next week. And you probably don't want to be here. And then the homeowner says, well, what is that? And, and I, I don't want, I don't think I want that. What's my alternative? And so hopefully when that homeowner goes looking for an alternative, yeah, they find, you. They find us. Yep. And so we've built a business about now educating people, helping them understand the advantages of wool and why it's important, particularly with new building techniques. Um, and then we've set up the infrastructure. So if you decide you want it, we can send it directly to your job site. And see, we didn't figure that out in one meeting. Oh uh, yeah. It took us years to arrive where we are. And it's a really, it's hard work. You got to talk to a lot of people. Yeah. You got to have the same conversation sort of all day, every day. Yeah. But we've evolved our website to, ch- to try to help people, you know, answer the questions. Frankly, we know what the questions are before you ask them. And so we try to put white papers together and a real understanding for people because there's going to be roadblocks, right? Nobody in building likes change. And so when you come with a new product, all you get is resistance. Yeah, literally. Um, And so, yeah, and and that's been our conversation. That's been our evolution. And now we talk a return on ad spend. That's an answer to one of, that's one of my answers (laughs) to one of your questions about one metric that I would look at. That's it. Yeah. Well, when you're a direct consumer like that, that's a big deal. You're right. It's funny because Tesla has kind of led the way with this. Like, no, I'm not going to sell my cars at any dealership. No, I'm not going to go the traditional route. I'm just going to do it myself. And so I think that there's probably a lot of people who wanted to do it like that, but needed a a big name to kind of bust through with that type of philosophy. So I just love that you guys have done that. Love that you guys have figured out a different way because you're right. Everybody in building doesn't like change. You know, that that's a, that's obviously a blanket statement, but for the most part. No, but but you're right, first of all. And second of all, what they have is a playbook, right? Everybody right. has a way that they like to do things and they like it to be repeatable. Yep. And if you throw a, 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 a kink in, in the system, they they just don't like it. Yeah, um, even if it's a better kink. <laughs> 100%, right? And but it, but it changes their process. And when you change their process, now they're slowing down. They don't like to go slower because they think fast is how you make money. And we were talking on a, to another group about this last week where long run demand is changing. The, the people building houses or that are going to build houses in the next 10 years, like they're going to look at it a lot differently. Material selection is going to be a big part of it. And this is yep. simple fact, right? This, is, this isn't about wool. This is about like, what are you putting in my house? What am I breathing? The yep. EPA says indoor air quality is five times worse than outdoor air. Like... You know, right. what's going on in here? And, you know, it, this, this goes to technology as well and yep. Bluetooth waves and internet and everything bouncing around. And can I put something in my walls to shut that off at night so I'm not subject to it? Like, this is all part of, I think, how people are going to start thinking about what they're building and what kind of effect it has on them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are obviously a very small component of that, but yeah. these are very healthy shifts in attention yeah. that we're part of the discussion, right? Whether or not, our product ends up being used as a separate matter, but we love being a part of the discussion because back to the playbook that everyone has, they just sort of jam you into it. Yep. And it's kind of amazing. We talk to people all the time and they're like, well, let me see if it's okay with my builder. It's like, pardon, pardon me. And and I would say this with all, if all my builder friends were sitting in the room, but who the hell cares if it's okay with your builder, it's your house. Right. Yeah. What do you want? And and it's like almost counseling on some level. Yeah. <laughs> because when somebody you can like you can sort of see through the phone and, and or on the video, you yeah. can see the gears turning. Like, yeah, wait a minute, it is my house. 
Yeah. And I want this to be a certain way. So I'm going to get it. And again, that's not just plugging our stuff. That's just helping people think about what they're doing because yeah. renovations, new construction, like maybe people do that once in a lifetime. Right. Rarely right. they do it twice if it's not, if it's not their job. Right. And so you're learning as you go and the, and your builder knows that your builder knows that they can just sort of jam you into a box and they try to do it. Exactly. Yeah. There's a, there's a benefit to the box the first stream streamlining, as you mentioned, but mm-hmm. it's funny. My wife and I just finished building our house. We've been here for about a year and there were several <laughs> things where I'm like, wait a second, why didn't I get a choice on that? Why, why is this already done? And I didn't right. like what ahead of time, we didn't have a discussion about this. So you're right. It, it's, it's an intellectual buyer. Right. And that's across all businesses. Yeah. So for the listener paying attention closely, what we're talking about, what Andrew's talking about is an educated buyer and the decisions that they're looking to make over the next five, 10, 25 years are going to be way more based in education and knowledge and the fact that they know what they're talking about, or maybe they know what they want. And you need to be able to service those people and those needs as opposed to kind of almost taking them for granted or putting them in a blind scenario that just works for you really as the as the one that's trying to make money. I still think that you can do, you can do a box or you can do a streamline process with integrity. There's just touch points along the way that make the experience more of what you're talking about. Would you agree with that? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, I'm not here to bash all builders. In fact, there's a whole bunch of builders that are thinking about new materials and better ways to do things and more efficient construction, right? Meaning like, I'm going to build this a little bit tighter and I'm going to solve for air leakage. So I'm, I'm, I'm minimizing my heating and cooling bills. Like there, there is a big groundswell happening there. It's yeah. just not the mainstream. And the mainstream is more of, hey, I have a playbook and, and you're going to fit into it. And if you want to change anything, I'm going to not even like, I'm going to charge you a whole lot more, but like, I'm, I'm sort of going to kind of try to figure out a way to not do what you want. Yeah. I'm um, just going to kind of be a crybaby about it. <laughs> Yeah. And so you got to, you just, like you said, I mean, it's all about getting yourself educated. We have a mantra here that we just try to help people make informed decisions, right? Whether you choose our product or not, stop and think about what you're doing because these decisions are important, right? And you don't want to be forced to live with them. And a lot of times, like, particularly if you get there early, it doesn't change the timing. It might, it will change the cost if you use wool over fiberglass. You're going to pay more for sure, but you're going to get more. So, and, and is that for everybody? Definitely not. But is it for an awful lot of people and, and an increasing amount? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's take it back. And maybe one of the first couple of years, I mean, you're still, like you said, even in phase one, the first 10 years here, but what was a good decision that you made that you can look back on? And this one thing that we decided to do has led to a lot of the momentum that we experienced today. I think a good decision. Well, let's answer the question. Stay nimble. Right. We are, we are a small business startup in a gargantuan industry that none of us knows anything about. Right. I I don't have a background in building materials. Right. I never worked for a company that had anything to do with this space, but I do have a background in, in finance and and private equity. And you spend a lot of time learning about industries that you think you're interested in and sort of become overnight experts. Right. Yeah. And so it was, it was not difficult to apply that experience to building materials and in particular insulation. And so a good decision was to, from the start, appreciate that we were the new guy on the block. We didn't have all the answers, surround ourselves with people who understood the industry and could help us in different ways. And then really just stay nimble and be willing to try things and be willing to critique ourselves on a regular basis. And um, we, we've, we've employed that over our nearly 10 years by essentially thinking that we could follow the traditional channels to market, as mentioned, builders, yep. distributors, installers, lunch and learns with architects, and you'd start getting specified and builders would be like, oh, this is such a cool product. We hate that other stuff. Because we know everyone hates the other stuff. We just they don't hate it enough to just grab wool and use that. That's right. Because of some of the other parameters, notably cost and yep. and in their mind speed. And to be honest, if we had if we had not been nimble and we had tried to continue down that path, I think it'd be pretty fair to say we'd be out of business. Yeah. The industry doesn't care about adopting new products so they can last. The industry basically says, like, we're gonna beat the crap out of you. And if you're still around in a while 
maybe we'll consider you. Yeah. So something that we knew early on was that we would have conversations with friends and friends of friends and people building something and they would say, oh, whoa, that sounds cool. Like, or, hey, we heard you guys are decent folks. Like, yeah, we'll give it a go. And every time we had that conversation, it's like everybody won, right? We got to insulate a house. The occupants got to have a better product. Like it was just winning at all levels. Yeah. And so we just decided to take this big leap and build a business around digital and content marketing and speaking directly to the people who were going to occupy the space. Yeah. And we set out to do that um, on a view that one, it would be beneficial for the occupant. And of course for us, because we're in the business of selling our products. Right. But we also thought if we could go out and, and, and get some shifting in the demand equation, we'd start to create a bit of a, conversation that we could then take back at a later stage to the builders and the architects, which is frankly now after nine years happening now. So that's another reason why there's a lot of enthusiasm in what we do every day. Yeah. You can, you have now statistics that you can show the people who are maybe giving you some, some pushback of why, why maybe they should reconsider because the actual end user, the one that has the money paying for the project maybe says otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I still, it doesn't surprise me. I'd say this if all my builder friends were sitting in the room. I mean, they're not great businessmen, right? They're, they're, Most they're, people aren't. they're, they're great at a lot of things, but, you know, you often see them make some challenging business decisions, get overextended, get too big, get too many people, and then come back to this place where they started, where there's a real comfort level. Yeah. But again, not here to critique the way, the way people run their business, but we really thought that they'd be much quicker adopters early on. And of course they weren't, but as we get back into the conversation now, it just seems so obvious to say, hey, listen, you can differentiate your offering from everyone else right. by saying, I take more time. I'm more thoughtful with material selection. I build a better product. And I think right. that, and this isn't just the high end, right? I mean, everybody wants that these days. Yeah, and yeah. and I think that you're you're going to kind of miss the boat if you're not figuring out how to talk that talk over the next yeah. five ten years. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I don't have any stats to back this up, but my, my my opinion on kind of what you just said is that there's a a lot of even families who would value a smaller home with the higher quality selection of products and a slower process to make sure that it's actually something that serves their family, whether it be from an environmental perspective of breathing or just simply the quality to be able to pass on to their kids or grandkids. I think that it's funny how things always are cyclical, right? Like how homes were maybe built 150 years ago. Obviously it's different and we're better, but there's a lot of ways that it's going to circle back around to maybe a smaller product, but a better built product. Would you agree with that? Or is that? Oh, no, you're, you, you're more right than, yeah, a hundred percent. We see that in pockets all over the place, particularly when you get a smart architect who can look and say, you don't need 5,000 square feet. Right. So, and this is where it also gets, this will seem self-serving. It's not, but this is where you can really find a way to build better because, let, hey, I used 5,000 arbitrarily. So let's dial that back to 3,000, which a lot of people would still say is too big. But, you know, now if you're, if you go from 5,000 to 3,000, you can buy the best materials available in the world and you're still saving money. Right. And what a lot of people want to do is talk about how big their house is. And, you know, oh, yeah, Jim's building a 6,000 square foot house in Park City. And like, right. you're going to use a quarter of what you built. That's right. And there's just no reason to build it. But people still have this view. It's going away. But people have this view that bigger is better. And in reality, why not just start with better materials, yeah. better thought out use of space, and you'll find that you can build 40% less. Yep. And, you know, and this is all different for everybody, right? Like maybe the garage should be way bigger for some people than others because right. they have cars or they like woodworking and they have a shop in there. And there's all sorts of ways to do this. But what we see time and time again is people build these monstrosities that are expensive to run and maintain. And they use across the year, whether it's full time or, or vacation, they're using 25% of the space. So it would be great from a material usage perspective, from a maintenance perspective, from a cost of running perspective, like 
Yeah. Win in a lot of ways if we got smarter about how we build stuff. And, and one of those things in the equation is smaller. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree. What would you say a bad decision was that you've made? <laughs> You'll never, ever do again, but that we can learn from. I thought about this question a lot and it seems incredibly ridiculous for me to say we didn't make a bad decision because we did, but there's nothing that jumps out. that's like, Oh man, we went down this path and we shouldn't have done that. Wow. Um, And I think part of our good decision matrix of stay nimble, question your yourself regularly. Don't think you have all the answers. Yeah. I think has helped us a lot on the other side of the equation your most recent question, what's a bad decision? Again, like there just isn't one thing. I mean, I guess you could look back and say, oh, we should have pivoted earlier away from builders and architects. But like, sure, I don't think that's the case. I think there's a there's a personal thing that I have, and I don't know, I, I sort of developed this subconsciously, but, and it's one of your questions, so I'm sorry, I'm front running it. But No, no, please. A decision-making matrix for me is often heavily dominated by time. Okay. And, and it's a very simple way of thinking about things. And it's just as follows. If I think something is a decent decision today, the first thing I'm going to do is not make it. But I'm going to think about it. And I'm going to sort of test it in every different way that I can. Sure. And then, but the most notable part here is, and there's no time frame on this that matters, but if in three months or if in six months, right, whatever's applicable, it still seems like a good decision. Well, then guess what? It probably is. Yeah. So all my buddies in venture capital would say, oh, that's stupid. That doesn't work. You got to fail fast because it's cheaper. Right. And I get that. And there are certain businesses where that's true. I don't think it applies to ours. Yeah. We, we manufacture a product that everybody needs that is better than all of the competition. And so I think time is on your side, right? If you think about what we're doing, we're on the right side of history, quote unquote. Right. We're using a product that nature has offered us for literally thousands of years as an insulator. So it's kind of ridiculous to think that there isn't an option or an ability to make this work, Yeah. Yeah. And so- if you put time on your side, and of course, it's more expensive to go slow, right? Particularly if you're not paying your own bills every month, right? You got to eat into somebody's equity. Yeah. But I don't know. I've just sort of always taken that view that, look, I've been doing this for 10 years now. Like, am I ready for it to take off a bit? hundred percent. Yeah. And what I've liked to seen that happen after five years. Did I think that was going to happen after five years? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Even though we had the advice from somebody saying this will take you 10 years. Right. We forged ahead and thought we'll do it faster. And we didn't. But uh, I, we're, we're, we're now standing on all four legs. Ha ha. And I think that the industry understands us. I think our clientele understand us. And I think that I think the next 10 years for Havelock Wool are going to be really exciting in terms of growth. Right. We've had some crazy growth years off of a low base, you know, where we've doubled in one year, we nearly quadrupled. Right. And now we've got a nice little business that just kind of runs itself. I mean, not literally, but financially. Yeah, sure. And and I think now we can really start to say, okay, again, we never set out to capture four or 5% market share, really even one half a percent of $17 billion is a big business in our mind. It's a big business. And so we just want to now say, okay, we earned a stool at the table if it's not a seat. We've got a following. We know what we offer is something that people like. We, we sort of knew that early on, but now other people know it too. Yeah. And, and so we feel like now we can really grow into something even more identifiable, recognizable. And therefore, the ultimate goal here is to get more wool and more houses, right? Yeah. And so we feel like we're very well positioned to finally do that in a more meaningful way, which is super exciting. So I'm sorry, I don't think I really answered your question. <laughs> I think you gave uh, us some really great perspective though. So in all seriousness. The, uh, yeah, the... I mean, I just think that bad decisions, of course, are inevitable. Yeah. And I could go back and say, oh, well, we never should have tried with builders and architects, but I didn't know till I tried. 
Right. Exactly. Right. Yep. And so yep. I think it's better to just sort of think like, hey, you're never going to know everything. Get yourself with the right team as fast as you can. The right team costs money, so you can't do it from the start. Yep. And then if you question yourself every day, here, we'll take this angle. If you question yourself every day and you, you run yourself up against the leaders right. in whatever that might be, not just what you do, but like marketing, how are we doing? What are our metrics? Are we doing a good job? Yep. What can we do better? Who are we missing? I think if you spend a lot of time asking questions of yourself and your efforts, you can avoid making really detrimental right. bad decisions. Yeah, hundred percent. And I agree with that matrix. And I think that there's a, there's a, maybe a, a delineation between maybe slow or methodical, methodical, meaning like I thought about it. I spent time intentionally thinking through it and that could take 30 seconds. It could take 30 years. It kind of depends on the situation and the decision. So I don't want the the listener walking away thinking that it's all of a sudden slow. I think you did a great job of describing what we're spending the time on is whether this is important. And if it's important, to your point of like, this is a much bigger picture, a much bigger environmental play, a much bigger industry disruption play. It's okay. Time's on our side. And I think yeah. that you can look at that from a content perspective. You, you guys are creating content, going direct to consumer. You can look at a podcast. I mean, the first 40 shows versus the 340th show. Like there's right. just going to, there's just going to, there's a build when you do certain things in a certain way, when it's good intention, when you're reaching out and you're adding value and then over the course of time, yes, you're putting work in. It's not like you've given yourself permission to like be lackadaisical. You guys are hard after it, but you have this poise knowing that like we're working on something really important here. It's going to take some time. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. I think that's hundred percent accurate. And I think that was definitely part of my plan. Right. And I, we bring people in that want to go faster and I get it. And I'm not here to be the, be the guy running in the other direction all the time, but sure it is a personal decision. And it's always been one that, again, if, if you're just looking to fail fast, I'm not your guy, but if you're looking to really think about and critique your moves, yeah, you yeah. can learn from them. There's a lot to be gained. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point of being nimble, if you do that, what you just said, if you're critiquing yourself quick enough or in a short enough, like review period, then, then you can be nimble and make uh, adjustments without having to make these huge detrimental decisions. And so let's, yeah. let's transition here to the, to the KPIs sure. because you mentioned digital marketing and obviously that's a big play for a lot of business owners. So I'm curious, what's that, what's that number one KPI that you would track? Return on ad spend. Okay. It's sort of the, because we're direct to consumer, it's kind of the top level way of saying, Hey, we're spending X on marketing and it's leading to Y revenue. Yep. What's the figure? Right. Yep. And a lot yep. of this is we'll feel really, really good about running sort of four or five X. Sure. Right. So I spend a hundred bucks on advertising and I sell five, 600. And of course you got to measure the profitability, right? Cause this is yep. the return is off of revenue, right? That's not right. your profits. Right. But exactly. It's yep. like, yep. if I spend a hundred bucks, I'm going to do $500 in sales. Like that sounds like something worth looking at. Right. Oh yeah. Our blended ROAS is about 19 times. Wow. And so, and, and, and let's call this out for what it is, right? And the main thing is, I don't have a huge marketing budget, right? right? So, so what that tells me, what that screams at me every day when I look at it is, you need to spend more money on marketing. Yeah. Right? If your goal <laughs> is to sell more insulation, and you have a blended row as of 19 times, you're missing people that will buy your product if you totally. if you cast a broader net. Yep. And so for me, given my background, I don't, I don't want to get too far off base here, but I've never felt comfortable. This has been just me and my business partner from day one, but I've never felt comfortable raising money because I didn't know what the use of proceeds would look like. I, I needed to be comfortable in that answer. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. We were always, we would talk to people and we still do people call. What about this? What about that? And I was just trying to get the fire hot and burning. So then we could pour gas all over. Right. Uh, and part of pouring that gas is, okay, if you raise 5 million bucks or whatever it is, what are you going to do with it? Right. And we've built this marketing story over time, very slowly, all on our own. And it's now really fun to sit down and say, well, very clearly we're playing in this $17 billion industry 
we think we can easily four or five X our sales. We've now fixed some challenges on the production side. So we'll actually be able to produce that amount of material. And, and honestly, like we've got this, this lead generation model that works. We've got this conversion metric that we fully understand and are making some strides to even improve on that. But I mean, literally you can go on our website and you can buy insulation and have it shipped directly to your job site. Right. And that didn't happen overnight. And we tested and pushed and got this right and got that wrong in the messaging. But at the end of the day, we stare at our marketing metrics. I get an email every Monday at nine o'clock and it's got a bunch of our metrics on it that I've sort of designed. And the first one is always marketing and how are we doing? And I would really stop and dig in here for anybody who's thinking about going out and starting a business. And this is something that I had to learn and evolve. And I brought in somebody who I know and trust. I've known him for 30 years who runs our marketing. And we just, we went slowly because we didn't have all this money to just go piling in. Uh, And I think when you are methodical, you can learn without costing yourself a bunch of money, frankly. And we did that. And so we stare at, at these metrics literally weekly. And I think it's really important for somebody who's going out and thinking like, oh, I'll just have a salesperson and they'll run off and do a bunch of handshaking and this will all work. I I think that the world has completely changed. And I can speak for myself because five years ago, I was more in that vein of like, well, this is the path and we should keep following it. And in making that pivot, literally, it's essentially led to all of our sales. Yeah. And look, let's be honest here. Like some of our distributors were a little bothered by us selling directly. And we just had very candid conversations and said, you guys are asking us for exclusivity in your region or whatever it might be, but we're selling more there than you are. Right. So why would we do that? Right. Like, give me a good business case for why I would do that. Right. We're just, we're marketing. We're good at talking about our products. If you're stocking these products, you're going to sell more of them too. Cause it's going to be right there in the store. Like, right. So we just, there's always challenges along the way. And we've, we've, we've always had this same model of let's be transparent. Let's be fair. Let's be reasonable. Yeah. And if your argument hits on those levels more than mine does, well, then you're probably right. Right. <laughs> but yeah. the opposite is true too. And like, right. if I'm growing my sales in your region and you're not, and you've been doing this for 18 months, like you're not spending enough time on it. Yeah. And I'm trying to not go out of business. Right. So I don't think it makes sense for me to really. Yeah. Why would you be locked into that? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You got to get creative. And and I think the direct to consumer model for you guys has been an incredible creative advantage. But for the listener paying attention, I think that whether it's it's a complete shift of how you're marketing or not, I think that the reality here of, I guess, maybe the takeaway is just that business is done differently. And, and so don't limit yourself in this, I got to do it the same way, or even I have to get it done in the next week or year. If I'm not a million dollar business in the first year, I think that all these things that are being kind of wrapped up together in our conversation of being creative, being nimble, but also building something sustainable takes thought. It takes process. It takes key people. Like Andrew mentioned a few minutes ago, it takes time. And so I, I love I love that you've just given yourself space. You've given yourself and your team this incredible space, but then you've demanded creativity to be able to sol- solve the problems that you're that you're figuring out. You want to add anything to that before we move on? Uh, no, just that I would say that we've added creativity, but we've also been been our our biggest critics, right? And and I think that's an important element. Like, okay, yeah. this seems to be working, but what would work better, or what are we missing, or should we should we overlay this? And then the other thing I would say to people is a lot of us get annoyed by these big tech companies and their excessive valuation and the way they change the landscape to suit themselves. They do, and they are annoying and and incredibly valuable. But you know what? They provide a service that works. And if you go piling into their world, whether it be the Google search box or however Facebook is delivering ads. And then it's annoying when Apple's mad at Facebook. And so they take the amount of eyeballs off their stuff, but it's an evolving story. It's really interesting to hypothesize. No one ever has the answer and, and they do change the, the, the landscape pretty frequently, but at the end of the day, 
if you want to get your product in front of somebody's eyeballs that's interested and you can slice and dice the 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 audience right i don't know that there's ever been a more effective to 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 cast such a broad net and it works and like it feels very overwhelming when you go down that path of like holy cow like this is so expensive i'm not going to be able to afford it right it takes time for it to work but it works every time yeah love that what book would you recommend andrew for a business owner trying to grow or maybe resource i don't know um <laughs> that's looking awesome. at my stack of books from business school I loved every single one of them. There's a lot of entrepreneurial stuff out there. And I think one of the most famous ones is probably Crossing the Chasm. Okay, yeah. And I just think that I don't like to say like, here's the one book that did it. Yeah. Because I don't think that exists. I think you have to really take perspective from lots of places and then think about how it applies yeah. to whatever you're dealing with on a given day. Yeah, understood. I think that the element there, particularly in, in that book, like, there's a, there's a lot of conversation around disruption. Um, and if you're disrupting, it sort of became a Silicon Valley tagline that annoyed people, but right. there's some real considerations there. And if you're disrupting an industry, there's some great commentary and it's something that, you know, you really should be thinking about because it's not just like, oh, I'm going to change the game because my product's different. You have to think about the stuff we talked about earlier, like, you know, the incumbent players are not going to just go away because you showed up. Right. So what's all the new stuff that you have to take on because you are being disruptive and like, they're going to protect their interests and and there's going to be a lot of stuff you're going to have to deal with that you weren't thinking about. Right. You're, you're, you're like, Oh, I got a new product and it's better. So I'll just put it in the market and people will buy it. I mean, that's not the way it works. It's just not the way it works. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. It would have been an easier, easier past 10 years if that was the case, right? <laughs> well, you know, what, what, what do we say? Like, if it was easy, everyone would do it. That's right. That's right. Well, and that's what separates, right? The, the ones that last and the ones that don't is because you said it earlier. You kind of, and I, I think it, it's not just building materials, but it's every business. If, if you can get beat up, kind of kicked around, and then, and then maybe you can stay a while but not, not even necessarily then. Like that kind of just earns your ticket to the dance. Yeah. I mean, again, you got to get time on your side, right? But then you can't get lazy. Like you got to fight. You got to fight all the way. Yeah. And then, stuff. you know, liquidity is a big deal, right? It depends on what somebody's plan is, right? But if it's an exit, you don't just build something and then be like, put your hand up and be like, okay, who wants to buy it? I mean, right. liquidity <laughs> is hard to find and you got to get the markets timed right. And right now is a perfect example. Like it's, I probably could have raised money in, in a couple months a year ago. Right. I'm not sure I can raise money right now. Yeah. Right. I mean, markets change and our space, I think, is maybe a little bit less impacted because of the so-called interest in ESG and all of that stuff. But, you know, who knows? People are people are sitting on their hands. We got a question for you about family. I want to know there's a dynamic that every entrepreneur deals with, especially if they're married and have kids, kids. And then there's a there's an obsession with their business. We all can agree to that. We've already talked about that. But there's also this obsession that we have to have about the marriage and the kids. Otherwise there is, there's a, a lopsidedness. And so yeah. I'm not a big fan of the word balance, but I am a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of obsession and being obsessed with each of these things. How have you maybe practically or conceptually over these years been as obsessed with family and marriage as you have with your business? Hmm. Uh, Yeah, this is a great question. Well, first off, I've been married for almost 18 years and I have a four-year-old. So there's probably a lot to dissect right there. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I spent a lot of time, the the first seven years of my marriage, I lived in Southeast Asia. We were traveling the world, having lots of fun, working hard, timing things right, making some money, doing cool stuff, built a house in New Zealand. That's ultimately how this business started. And I did not see myself necessarily starting a company. Yeah. I have a background in curiosity and I'm not lazy. Yeah. So I'm just sort of always thinking about how to do things differently. But I'm also, quite honestly, I'm always, I'm always trying to follow the fun compass. That's a big conversation in our house. What, what's, where's the fun pointing? Yeah. And I've forever thought that there would be a way to be successful in business and have fun. That's, yeah. that's been my goal. Right. And it'd be pretty easy to just, I, I spent years working 
12, 14 hours a day, traveling 150,000 miles a year around the world. Yeah. I mean, it's maybe it's fun at the end of the year when you get paid a lot of money, but you know, otherwise it sucks. So for me, I wanted to have fun and also be successful. And I've certainly had a lot of fun. The successful part is still out there, but I think it's coming. And the balance is I took time to start a family because I was focused on other stuff. My wife's probably a little bit bummed out about it, but it's been great for me because I'm an old dad and I've done lots of cool stuff. And now I just like hanging out with the little man. Yeah. And we live in an absolute playground. Yeah. And I, I've been an outdoorsman my whole life. That comes from my dad. And so passing that stuff along is, is really fun. I will say in like sort of the work-life balance, I, I haven't figured that one out. I basically spend all day, every day feeling like I should be somewhere else. Yeah. When I'm at home, I should be at work. When I'm at work, I should be doing more at home. Yeah. My wife is an entrepreneur and has her own business. So she faces the same challenges. And unfortunately, she's stuck dealing with more things because she doesn't commute 45 minutes each way every day. But that doesn't mean that she isn't pressed all the time too. So right. yeah, I can honestly tell you that is an ongoing discussion. We're nowhere near the solution. Yeah. And, and again, I think with that fun overlay, it, it, that's disruptive, Yeah, right? If I wasn't yeah. trying to have fun as much as possible, I'd probably do more work and therefore the, maybe the rest of the stuff would be a little bit easier, but funds. But then you wouldn't have any fun. <laughs> yeah, it's equally important. Yeah, it's the journey. And I love, I love how you've used the word fun. In fact, actually, what we, well, the language I use inside of Gathering the Kings is levity, right? To be able to mm-hmm. remove pressure to be able to bring joy. And I feel yeah. like that's exactly what you just said is like, yeah, th- there's going to be pressure. There's going to be business. There's going to be always the next deal, <clears throat> the next strategy. But man, we got to have some fun along the way. Last question here for you. Andrew, yes, I want to know if you could whisper in the younger Andrew's ear, what would you say? Good question. I don't know. I mean, I don't I, like, I don't really have any regrets. My old boss, when I resigned from my firm, told me I should work for five more years and then I wouldn't have to work it or maybe 10 more years, right? Every once in a while, I think about that, but I probably would have ended up divorced. And so just from a pure financial perspective, right? Like, would it have been easier to stay in that racket for a little bit more time and save a little bit more money so that I could do more stuff. I mean, sure. But you know, how do you value the, the happiness that you get by not being there and by doing what you feel like doing every day, as opposed to being on an airplane all the time and moving to Tahoe in my first year here, I probably skied 75 days. I mean, you don't do that when you're traveling all the time and grinding away in the office. So um, I don't know. I think awareness is something that I've done a better job with over the years. And so maybe I would have tried to adapt that a little bit earlier on, right? It's just sort of not everybody's cut from the same cloth. People think about things differently. They have great opinions. And I was, I'm not going to say arrogant, but I was pretty headstrong Mm. and just sort of of the view that like, I knew the path, so I'm going to follow it. Right. And I, I think a part of that's being young and unaware, and I don't think there's any substitute for experience. And I've had a fair bit of it living and traveling around the world and understanding other cultures and seeing how people do things differently. Yeah. And so I think particularly in the world of 24 hour news and divisive existence, like I think people are inherently great and just get confused at times. And yeah. so, yeah, that would be it. Maybe, maybe figure out how to get a, a younger guy to be aware of that. Yeah. And then maybe employ that in, in some of the decision-making that occurred across time. But, right. Right. but I, I can say that don't lead a very regretful existence, which frankly, I'm just proud of. Yeah, no, it's great. I think that when you, I think if the listener takes anything away, obviously you gave us a decision matrix and and even just the no regrets here at the end. You are where you are based on the decisions that you've made. And and then there's also a poise to understanding like, well, I made those, an ownership, if you will. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be there. I'm there. <laughs> I gotta own it and I gotta gotta deal with it. So yeah, I think that I mean you you might as well, right? Because you can't yeah. change it. Yeah. Well, and, and the only thing that you can do is just continue to own it and continue to make those types of decisions that a bring joy, but then also get you what you want, which you've given us a, just a, a great, a great depiction of. So, how can the listener find you, Andrew? If number one, if they're a consumer and they want to look into this wool insulated solution, or maybe they're a builder or 
building supply and they want to learn a little bit more, or if they're just an entrepreneur, they want to pick your brain. How can they find you? Pretty easily. Our website is havelockwool.com, www.havelockwool.com. My email's on there. I'm on LinkedIn. I'll tell people right now that I don't spend much time on LinkedIn. So you might send me a message and not get a response for a while. Sure. But, and my email is awl at havelockwool.com. Yeah. And I'll respond to anything anybody sends me. So that's probably the easiest way. And I, I do a fair bit of, but not like you do in getting into this discussion as often as possible, but yeah, I do a lot of, I'm not going to say coaching because I'm not qualified, but I do a lot of cheerleading Yeah, yeah, for friends and friends of friends that are thinking about making a change or not necessarily yeah. just starting something, but doing something different. And for yeah. me, it's like sport, but I just... Yeah. It's the one way that my mind really works quickly and, you know, reasonably well. And, and again, I think it's just because I've been fortunate to have so many experiences that yeah. it's, it's sort of fun to share and, and yeah. listen you've got to a deep people. well to share from. Yeah. And, and listen to what people are thinking and try to provide some enthusiastic and constructive commentary. And I enjoy doing it. So yeah. if anybody's out there that is, is curious about any of the stuff we've talked about, by all means, reach out. It's awesome. Andrew, I appreciate your willingness to serve. And of course, I just appreciate your time. Blessings to you and your family, your your team, your conglomerate that you're disrupting the industry with. Just uh, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And, and thanks to anybody who takes the time to listen. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries, and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight, and nine-figure business owners, is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together one thousand kings specifically who are grateful but not done we're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business family and communities and here's what we believe that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy so if that relates and and resonates with you and you know that you need people around you sharp qualified other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.